Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us this weekend. I am Jason Kong, and I have the pleasure of being here with Bill Alexander. Bill, we made it to February. That means uh, there's uh, another webinar that you're putting on around the corner, actually this coming Wednesday. Bill, how are you doing today? <laughs> well, Jason, I'm doing fine. Uh, it is pretty amazing that uh, we're first weekend in February. Uh, it just blows my mind that we're already past uh, one-twelfth of the year uh, because they, it just the days fly by and uh, it just it just it's crazy it really is it does but, kind of fly by uh, <laughs> and of course uh, we're no question we're in crazy winter weather uh, I mean it can be frigid or it could be mild uh, it, you know day to day it seems to change uh, well not doesn't seem to change it changes and so uh, you know I'm I'm uh, uh, like a lot of folks, I'm ready for spring. <laughs> the sooner the better. It can't get here uh, soon enough. Uh, uh, this is true. Uh, well, anyway, today, and I'm going to keep on a, a track. Um, I'm glad you you brought up the webinars because, yeah, they're next Wednesday, and I hope folks will sign up for them. Uh, as as you uh, tell folks, you know, we, we do these monthly, second Wednesday of each month. Uh, the one in the morning that we do uh, is actually on Medicaid and other long-term care uh, government assistance benefits that can be available to middle-class families, which uh, are very important. We also cover veterans' benefits uh, in that, particularly for long-term care, uh, that might be available to uh, veterans and their families uh, and veteran spouses and the like. Um, so we, we cover those, and it's really helpful for folks uh, who are worried about uh, a loved one needing long-term care or potentially needing long-term care. The more information people have, the better. And then in the afternoon, we talk about asset protection and how trusts can fit into asset protection in a very valuable way to, to many of our clients. Um, and a lot of folks are very interested in that area, and they should be because it's important uh, to folks in terms of how do we protect what we've worked so hard to, uh, to have, uh, and, and that's so important. But, uh, okay, so this, this morning, uh, I wanted to, to start out, I, I got a call from a client uh, who was, uh, or is, uh, applying for Medicaid in a local county, and she's applying for Medicaid for uh, her husband. And, and quite frankly, and to my surprise, uh, she called, and she wrote us a note, and she called uh, upset because the caseworker in that county was telling her uh, that she needed to transfer back uh, to her husband, who was seeking Medicaid, uh, property, uh, real estate, that had been gifted to her by her husband and um, was making a big deal about that. And, and so the first, the, the first point that this, uh, now, for those who don't know, which would be most of you, 
Um, the fact is, is that a spouse uh, can make any unlimited gifting of their property to their spouse. And in this case, it was the husband transferring real estate to his wife. There is no Medicaid sanction for that. It's perfectly lawful. It's perfectly ethical and proper to do that. And in fact, in every Medicaid case we have where there's a married couple, with rare exception, I shouldn't say every because there's always exceptions to the rule, uh, but uh, the basic plan is transfer property to the healthy spouse. You know, that helps protect property when, you, uh, when one goes on Medicaid. And normally, that is a, a one solution. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have what's called a spin-down or conver conversions of property that are necessary uh, for Medicaid eligibility, but there's absolutely nothing wrong. In fact, the Medicaid manual specifically says that you can make gifts to your spouse. So number one, either this caseworker is brand new and, and doesn't know the, the, the rules yet, uh, but or the caseworker is actually playing with this uh, uh, lady that's in great stress uh, and trying to take advantage of her unlawfully. And that's, you know, it's a real shame. Uh, and from my understanding, this caseworker has a lot of experience. So she's she should be knowledgeable of the Medicaid rules. And for her to demand that the wife put property back in the husband's name is absolutely incorrect. But the fact is, is that's the reason that so many families actually pay us to help with the application because oftentimes applications can be adversarial. In other words, uh, and if you don't have a lawyer, some of these caseworkers will actually tell you things that they know are incorrect to, just to see if, if uh, the person will do what they want them to do. Uh, and it's, it's a real shame when, when uh, you know, if someone was new, didn't know the rules, and they made a mistake, that's one thing. But when somebody's been in the same job for 20 years and they know the rules and they're just playing with people, that's just plain wrong. And it uh, really upsets me uh, when we see that happen. Um, and, I, and I've, I've seen, this is not the first time it's happened, uh, but it's the kind of thing that just makes you really mad when you, when you see this kind of thing. Now, I had another case where a caseworker did the same thing to an engineer who thought he could save his mom uh, a little bit of money by doing the application himself. And the caseworker actually cost the engineer over $90,000 uh, that could have been preserved if he had just uh, let us do the application for them. And that, uh, you know, those are the kind of things that just, it's crazy. The engineer finally came back to us after having spent the extra $90,000 that certainly did not have to be done. Um, and we, we got his mom 
uh, on Medicaid, and he was delighted with our help and wished that he had not made the mistake of trying to do it himself. But, you know, those, those are the exceptions to the rules. Most of the caseworkers work very hard. It's a tough job, and, and they try to do it correctly. Um, so I'll, I'll give a, a shout-out to the majority of caseworkers out there that are, that are working hard to do their jobs, and it's a tough job. Uh, but, and all of them are overworked. Uh, there's no question about that. But the fact is, is that there is absolutely no reason for this kind of conduct on, their, uh, on the ones that are not doing it by the book. Um, now, uh, with that said, so the bottom line is with a Medicaid application, you just have to understand that there are caseworkers out there that make this an adversarial process. But, but more important is the, is the rule, and that is that if you're in a Medicaid situation, one of the best ways to protect property, and it's also important in some other aspects as well, is to be able to transfer property to your spouse, which is, like I said, perfectly legal, proper, and one of the best things that you can do to uh, get a loved one on Medicaid and protect property. It's one of the first things we recommend. Now, with that said, if your loved one is not capable of signing documents, that's where your general durable power of attorney comes in. That's where it comes into play. And I, I preach this week after week after week after week, and the folks who listen to me uh, have heard this a thousand times before, but most seniors do not have a power of attorney that allows effective gifting even from one spouse to another. And uh, by effective gifting, what I mean by that is oftentimes powers of attorney. Now, there's a, if you've had your power of attorney prepared by an elder law attorney, elder law attorneys have a very different perspective because we're focusing on uh, what needs to uh, be done, what documents you need to have to be to be able to do an effective plan that will protect your assets and get a person on Medicaid fairly quickly, even. Uh, and particularly uh, without having to wait five years. You know, there are a lot of folks out there that think, oh, you, 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 don't, you can't have any property and you have to give it all away and wait five years before you're eligible. And that is absolutely wrong, but you have to have the right documents in place. And the most important document in order to be able to uh, uh, take advantage uh, of the rules is... A, a good general durable power of attorney that's prepared by an elder law attorney. So don't think that the one you've you've got that was done ten years ago by your local attorney will work. Uh, it won't. It don't think that one you've prepared from online will work. It won't. There are always limitations in there. Uh, frequently, a power of attorney doesn't even allow a gift, any gift at all. Other times, there's a power of attorney 
that doesn't include the spouse, the most important person that you can make a gift to in a crisis case. Uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't include your ability to make a gift of real estate. That's a biggie. Uh, and, and or uh, oftentimes uh, your gifting authority will be limited to the historical gifts that you've made. Well, you know, most people don't make significant gifts historically other than maybe to their church. Uh, and, um, or it may be a very common limitation is one that limits you to the um, annual gifting exclusion, which today is $16,000 per person. Well, $16,000 isn't enough generally, to be able to transfer your farm or your home or other highly appreciated property or just money from one spouse to the other spouse, which is what you need to be able to do. So I cannot emphasize enough how important that general durable power of attorney is so that you can do what we call crisis planning. Now, I'm going to get off my soapbox uh and um when i when we come back i know you're giving me the evil eye we need to take a break uh i want to talk about uh, how gifting can um, be a negative if you do it before a crisis because a lot of folks don't understand uh how or what's important uh in terms of timing it's a big key, and if that's something that you want to learn more about, stick around. But you're also going to want to register and attend Bill's free webinars happening this Wednesday, February 9th. If you want to learn more, as Bill said, about Medicaid, that's happening in the morning session. His webinar is free. It's highly educational, and it will cover the subjects of long-term care assistance, government assistance that might be available to you learn more by going to wgalaw.com and clicking on the seminars button at the top of the page wgalaw.com is the website the afternoon webinar deals with the subject of asset protection and trust planning if you want to learn more about that again go to wgalaw.com click on the seminars button it's free to register free to attend you can do it from the comfort of your own home well, you can do it online and we've gotten so comfortable with zoom these days that's how it's done just go to wgalaw.com and click on the seminars button at the top of the page or if you would like to have your documents reviewed wgalaw.com is where you can go to schedule an appointment to speak with bill make sure that your legal documents are able to accomplish what you want and also what you need see an elder law attorney and bill wgalaw.com or call the office 919-256-7000 919-256-7000 we're taking a quick break but we'll be right back you're listening to asset protection today with attorney bill alexander and we will be right back This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. WGALaw.com is where you can go to learn more about Bill. 
wgalaw.com. That's also where you can go to register for free to attend Bill's free webinars dealing with the subjects of long-term care assistance. This deals with Medicaid and VA benefits that may be available to you, as well as the subject of asset protection and trust planning. This is happening Wednesday, February 9th. That's this coming Wednesday. If you want to attend, go right now to wgalaw.com and click on the seminars button at the top of the page. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander and Bill, you just shared a, a client experience with us about an application for Medicaid, and that got us into uh, the discussion that we've had kind of frequently on the show, and that's of gifting. Well, and and now I want to talk about t- the timing of gifting and how important that is, because most people do it wrong, <laughs> okay, uh, or they don't understand the importance of timing in a, a gifting scenario. Uh, And we're still talking about Medicaid and how that works. Uh, But here's the deal. Gifting prior to a crisis is generally a bad idea. Okay, so the first first definition here, what's a crisis? (laughs) Well, a crisis, we're talking here, uh, where you you have a physical crisis and a financial crisis. And it really means that a loved one needs nursing facility care now. In other words, they're in the hospital or they're in rehab following hospital. Uh, Medicare is, is paying uh, the bill on a limited basis. But the uh, folks are, are telling the family that mom or dad or sibling or whom, whomever, uh, uh, they're not going to be able to come home safely. In other words, they're going to have to stay in a nursing home, uh, and, and there's no real choice in the matter. That uh, means that uh, the family is going to have to privately pay for a nursing home uh, and typically, we're talking $8,000 a month or more with nursing care costs. Uh, and so uh, that uh, typically, for most families, means an immediate financial crisis. Okay. Uh, now, the good news is that most middle-class families can, with good professional assistance from an elder law attorney, Get on Medicaid very quickly and preserve all of your property or most of your property, certainly your real estate and things like that, uh, and most of your cash. I mean, I've, I've never had a situation where we could not preserve all the real estate and more than half of their cash assets uh, and the like. And that's the worst case scenario. Oftentimes, we can preserve everything. So it's not, you know, for those folks who think you, you have to have zero in order to apply for Medicaid, you need to come to the webinar so you can learn differently uh, because middle-class families do have the opportunity of getting on Medicaid fairly quickly. And by fairly quickly, I mean within a month or two, uh, which preserves an awful lot of money for, for folks. Um, now, so the crisis definition means needing Medicaid now because a loved one is either in a nursing home, 
uh, or will be going to a nursing home soon. Uh, uh, and of course, the sooner that you get to an elder law attorney, the better, uh, because uh, it's almost impossible to be able to do this on your own, even if you're knowledgeable. It's hard. So, uh, but why is it a bad idea to gift prior to the crisis? Why don't you do it five years in advance? You know, those kinds of things. Well, uh, here's, here's the deal. Number one, if you make a gift prior to the crisis, in other words, let's say mom and dad are getting up in age and dad is pretty frail, you know, and uh, there's a possibility that he will need care. Well, possibility is not the same thing as needing care right now, no matter, you know, you have no choice. And the fact is, is that all of us want to stay out of a nursing home. None of us want to go. We want to be as independent as possible. We want to stay in control of our property. Uh, uh, you, you know, it, it's like... I, None of us, for good reason, uh, actually wants to be in the situation where uh, we have to go to a nursing home on a long-term basis. And the, the fact is, is that most of us cannot get financial assistance. There are some other programs that we talk about in our webinar, but most of us... Uh, uh, cannot get financial assistance if we need care at a level lower than needing nursing facility care. Now, what's lower? Lower is needing assisted living or needing home care. And of course, all of us would rather stay home and be cared for at home, but that's not possible for a lot of folks. So it's the kind of thing where, um, uh, and uh, now there are you know, some exceptions for folks uh, who have very low income. There are, in other words, that that's a possibility for programs. War period veterans are another possibility uh, for folks. Uh, and, you know, I haven't, uh, I may have said this before, but one of the really good things that is happening in this area in Raleigh for veterans is that the VA and the state is getting ready to break ground on a new VA nursing home here in Raleigh. It, it should be open within about two years from now. That's really exciting because you don't have to be a war period veteran to be able to go to a VA nursing home. Uh, you just have to be a veteran. And they cost about half of what a regular nursing home costs. And the care level is terrific at a VA nursing home. So truthfully, I'm really excited about the fact that the VA is is breaking ground on a new nursing home for Raleigh. I just hope it's a really big one because it's going to be a popular uh, facility uh, for folks. And so, but getting back to where I started from is, okay, so the point is this, it's better to inherit than it is to receive a gift for tax purposes because here's the thing, if, if dad transfers the house to mom, uh, and of course the circumstances can be very different, uh, but the bottom line is you, you, 
if dad dies, never having gone to nursing care, so you've never applied for Medicaid, and that's more common than not, uh, then mom gets a one-half step up in income tax basis, which is a tax savings for any appreciated property. And this would be true for the primary home. It might be, and it would certainly be true for any other real estate that mom and dad might own. Could be a farm, could be a beach house. That's not their primary residence. Now, the primary residence does have some extra tax benefits, and that is that that a married couple has a $500,000 exclusion from income tax uh, upon the sale of their primary residence. A single person has half that $250,000 exclusion, which uh, that's a really important uh, tax benefit as it relates to your primary residence. But uh, also incorporated in that is what's called a step up in basis. And so many folks go, What's that? <laughs> I don't blame you, but it really it's the difference between inheriting property and by inheritance that could be through a trust, through a will, through a right of survivorship, uh, through beneficiary designation uh, and the like. But most real estates owned 50/50 by a husband and wife. Uh, and so there's a half step up. Now, let's say dad owned 100% of a farm that he inherited and never put it in mom's name. In other words, it's not 50-50, it's 100%. That's a little easier to understand because that would be a full step up in basis. Now, what's basis? All right, basis is your acquisition number. All right, so let's say dad inherited the farm 40 years ago when it was worth $100,000. And now 40 years later, it's worth $900,000. Well, that's called appreciation. That's appreciated property. So if dad sold the farm during his lifetime, he would pay capital gains tax on the difference between what it was worth when he inherited it, $100,000, and what he sold it for, $900,000. So there'd be $800,000 of gain that would be taxed. Now, what a step-up means is that if dad died and left the farm to mom or to the children, either one, whoever inherits it gets a full step-up in income tax basis. And what that means is that, so the farm's now worth $900,000, and mom inherits it. If she sold the farm the week after dad died, she would pay no capital gains tax because the basis steps up to the fair market value at the date of death. So that's a very, very important concept to all of us, whether we're middle class, whether we're rich, most of us have appreciated property. So the concept of step up is really important. Now, a lot of folks don't realize that you can also have step down. If property depreciates at your death, then it steps down in value too. But but, but that doesn't happen very often. In almost every case, we're talking step up 
in value to the fair market value at death, and that erases capital gains tax when when you inherit it. Now, if it's a husband and wife, 50-50, then it's a half step up. And I'm not, I, I, that would, I mean, I can explain it, but it'd take too long and I'm not going to do it. So basically just think halvesies and you're good to go. <laughs> you can see why timing is, is such a critical factor when it comes to gifting. And you can also see why there's a lot of value in understanding uh, the implications of this and, and why it's so critical because you could be costing yourself a whole lot of money. That's why Bill has these webinars the second Wednesday of every month. The next one is happening this coming Wednesday, February 9th. If you want to register and attend, it's free to do so. Go to WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button at the top of the page. WGALaw.com to register for Bill's free webinars. Click on the seminars button. From there, you can register to attend the morning session with deals which deals with uh, long-term care assistance that may be available to you government assistance dealing with medicaid and va benefits and the afternoon session deals with asset protection and trust planning just go to wgalaw.com and click on the seminars button to learn more or if you want to call the office that phone number is 919-256-7000 we're taking a quick break but we'll be back with more don't go anywhere you're listening to asset protection today with attorney bill alexander and we'll be right back Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. WGALaw.com is where you can go to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill. That's also where you can go to register for this coming Wednesday's free webinars that Bill puts on the second Wednesday of every month. This Wednesday, February 9th is the next set of webinars. Go to WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button if you'd like to register to attend either of Bill's two webinars. The morning session deals with long-term care assistance, dealing with long-term care crisis and financial assistance that may be available to you, as well as the afternoon session, which deals with asset protection and trust planning. Go to WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button to learn more. I am Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we're talking all about gifting and you just explained to us why timing is so critical when it comes to gifting. Right. And and it is it's also important for folks to understand that the loss of a step up in basis is all about appreciated property. Well, the truth is we also have property, all of us do, at least a little bit, uh, that is not property that appreciates. You know what the biggie there is? What would that be? Cash. <laughs> okay, cash doesn't appreciate. In fact, if anything, it depreciates because of inflation. But the fact is, is that gifts of cash doesn't have any effect on basis one way or the other. Uh, now, gifts of property in a Medicaid uh, planning scenario does make a difference. Any kind of gift, uh, ex the only gift that makes no difference with Medicaid is a gift from one spouse 
to their spouse. Now, a gift to a child or a gift to a trust creates a sanction or a penalty when it comes to Medicaid. So uh, that's where the five-year look-back comes in with Medicaid, which you have to be very cautious of. Um, And um, that um, needs to be uh, professional. I mean, you basically need uh, good guidance as to whether to do that or not. Now, truthfully, most families uh, do make some gifts to children and grandchildren within five years of a need for Medicaid. Why? Because we hope we'll never need Medicaid. We hope we never will go into a nursing home, and we hope uh, and we like to see. Uh, uh, our children enjoy gifts that we're able to make for them. Sometimes we help a grandchild with tuition. Sometimes we might give a car or a truck to a child or grandchild. I mean, or we just make uh, very uh, um, nice gifts at Christmas or birthdays or, you know, things like that. So, I mean, we all do it, and and it's important that for folks to know that even though you may have created some gifts during that five-year, you created those sanctions from gifts that you've made during that five-year look back, that they can be undone. But again, that needs to be done with professional advice because in North Carolina, we can do gift backs in lots of different creative ways. This is where my engineer friend got taken advantage of for that $90,000 that we were talking about, where the caseworker just really reamed him. But the fact is, is that gift backs can be made in order to undo sanctions. And in most of the applications we do, we're undoing uh, sanctionable gifts that have been made. And of course, I've mentioned this uh, a few other times is the fact that there is one other issue that occurs with seniors that if you can get people to do things differently helps a lot, and that's also as it relates to cash. You know, there are a lot of seniors that go to the bank or every payday or every you know month when Social Security comes in, and guess what? They get a few hundred dollars of cash. Well, The problem is, is that when you apply for Medicaid, the caseworkers will look at cash as a gift to children and grandchildren. Why? Because they don't know what you've done with it. Uh, In other words, you can't follow it. It's not transparent. So it's far better for seniors to use a credit card or a debit card uh, I like credit cards because, you know, if something goes wrong with it, it's easy to resolve, unlike a debit card in most cases. But uh, the fact is, is that if you use credit cards, you better be paying it off every month. You don't want to actually owe money. Um, not when you're a senior, that's for sure. So, um, but the the point I'm trying to make is, is that uh, it's a habit because people like to have a little cash in their pocket. I don't blame them, but this is where you gotta steer people to do things a little bit differently as they get older. Plus, as a child of a senior, if you're involved with your parents uh, in terms of looking over their statements and things like that, you can follow 
uh, if it's all transparent. And that's what DSS is looking for in a Medicaid application, too. So cash is not your friend when it comes to a Medicaid uh, application. So you got to steer away from that. Okay, but the fact is, is that um, these concepts are uh, important in a non-Medicaid asset protection application as well. Um, And so I want to talk about that uh, as it relates to transfers or gifts to irrevocable trusts. You know, people talk about creating an irrevocable trust for Medicaid planning, for VA planning, uh, and also for asset protection planning. So it's uh, it's in, uh, involved in all of those. So I want to talk about transfers to irrevocable trusts uh, next. We will get to that in just a bit. Don't forget, WGALaw.com is where you can go if you want to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill. That's also where you can go to register for Bill's free webinars happening this Wednesday, February 9th. These are wonderful, highly educational opportunities for you to deal with some subjects that have, boy, a whole lot of misinformation and half-truths that seem to be, quote-unquote, common knowledge. Uh, Go to WGALaw.com and click on the Seminars button at the top of the page. The morning session covers Medicaid and uh, long-term care assistance that may be available for you dealing with a long-term care crisis. The afternoon session deals with asset protection and trust planning. These are free webinars that you can attend from the comfort of your own home. Just go to WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button at the top of the page or call 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander and we'll be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Learn more about him by going to WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. That's also where you can go to register for Bill's free webinars happening this Wednesday, February 9th. If you want to learn more about the subjects of long-term care assistance, as well as asset protection and trust planning, and these highly educational and free webinars, go to WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button at the top of the page. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, we've been having a discussion on gifting. And just before we wrapped up last segment, you were going to tell us about transferring money to an irrevocable trust. Well, not just money, uh, but transferring anything could be your home, could be your beach house, could could be stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, uh, (laughs) and cash. Okay. So, you're thinking about transferring property to an irrevocable trust. Well, there are some very important things to consider. Number one, if you're doing it for Medicaid purposes, then you uh, typically, in order for it not to be counted, now, first of all, you're going to create a five-year look-back problem. So if you transfer property to an irrevocable trust, 
then um, that's created a sanction un unless your application for Medicaid is more than five years from the date of the transfer to the irrevocable trust. If it's a VA situation, you have a three-year look back. Uh, so you've created a sanction for those three-year periods. Now, with VA, there's an exception to that rule, and that is uh, you typically can transfer your home to an irrevocable trust for VA purposes only without a sanction because your home is an exempt asset for VA purposes. However, if you do one for VA purposes, you've created a Medicaid sanction. Doesn't matter. <laughs> so uh, that's important. Uh, there's also a three-year look back for special assistance, uh, which is another benefit program that we cover in our webinar. Uh, but the, the point is, is that the, if you're doing it for VA, or for Medicaid purposes, you can't make yourself the beneficiary of that trust. In other words, typically you're going to make your children the beneficiary. Well, that's not a good thing, I mean, if you think about it. Now, you could, uh, and you can't do it for VA, but for Medicaid, you could create an income-only trust where there's no access to principal. So, in other words, the principal is not accountable, but the income from the trust would be accountable for Medicaid. But the, there's a huge problem there because you're having to do this trust before you need Medicaid, and you're limiting yourself as to the corpus, the principal of the trust. And guess what? If you never need Medicaid, you're going to need that corpus. So I generally don't recommend that kind of planning because it puts off, off your availability to get it that property which you actually need the most. So there's some real concerns that's, this is why you need really good advice before you just willy-nilly throw your property into an irrevocable trust. But if you know what you're doing with a trust, and uh, it, then it can be a wonderful thing. And what I want folks to understand is an irrevocable trust can be designed so that it's an incomplete gift, which means it's still in your estate. You get, your children get a step up in basis upon your death. That's really nice. Or for, for high-wealth families that are worried about estate tax planning, and this is an asset protection concept, you can transfer property that's a completed gift uh, using gift tax exemptions. And I'm not talking about the 16000 I'm talking about the fact that we also have a lifetime gifting exemption, which right now is over $12 million each. Um, with, in other words, we can gift everything without paying any tax. That's huge. Well, the fact is that we can create a trust that avoids estate tax, but we lose the step up in basis upon our death because we've made a completed gift to our irrevocable trust that is outside of our estate. Well, the fact that typically estate tax is going to be in the, I mean, right now it's 40%, but historically it's 55%, and it's going back to 55% in 2026. 
55 percent is a whole lot more than 20 percent, which is your capital gains rate. <laughs> so avoiding a state tax for very wealthy families is a very, very important concept in asset protection. And we talk about that in our asset protection webinar. And if you want to learn more about that, be sure to go to WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button. Those are happening this Wednesday, February 9th. So if you want to attend, don't wait. Act now. Go to WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button. It's free to register and it's free to attend. So if you want to learn more, that's the best way to do it. WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button at the top of the page. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Go to WGA Law. And click on the seminars button if you want to register to attend Bill's free webinars happening this coming Wednesday, February 9th. If you want to learn more about many of the subjects that we discussed today, including Medicaid and uh, long-term care assistance that might be available to you, as well as asset protection and trust planning, this is a wonderful free opportunity for you. Go to WGALaw.com, click on the seminars button at the top of the page, or call 919-256-256. 7,000, We're out of time for today. Hey, we hope to see you at one of the webinars on Wednesday. If not, we'll catch you next weekend. You've been listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Have a wonderful day. <music>